So we're going to go through Luke. That's what we're going to be doing this summer. I mentioned a week or two ago that there'll be an outline. I have it sitting here. If you want to see where we're going, pretty much have through September 4th planned. And the idea is to just go through uh, the early sections of Luke, but not the introductory. Don did a little bit of it. Um, we're going to save it for Christmas time, too. So we're starting in Luke 3, and we'll go for a while through this. So that we'll be in one passage. And then uh, today you'll see me, there's a lot of scripture here. So I won't read all of it, but we will go through it with the understanding that this is the word that we're to feed on. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's what God sent up, set to nourish mankind for generations. So no matter how many times you may have been over this, God has more for you here and far more than I'm going to say. So you hopefully will start to draw in some truth yourself. I do the New King James just because I became a believer when I was 20 or so, and that was the first Bible that I got. Um, I'm not saying that's the only one, but so you can follow along in the one that you want to follow along in. And uh, when I do, I want to try to emphasize the, when there is an Old Testament reference that we hit in one of these passages, to maybe camp out on that particular um, book or that section of that book when we do it, so we can also be digging a little bit deeper there. So Isaiah 40 is where we're going to jump into a little bit as well. So pretty much those two. I try not to do a bunch of random references that I do have in my notes sometimes, but I don't throw those up on the screen. They're here, and if you have questions afterwards, you can ask. But I pretty much try to keep it in a straight lane. So there's an outline in your announcements if that helps you, but just know it's Luke 3 where we're going, okay? Um, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is anchored in time and place and people. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege we have of being able to read the scriptures in our native language. Thank you for the freedom we have to have Bibles and to carry them around, to have them on our phones, and to have access to your word whenever we want it, Lord. I pray now, as we narrow our focus to this particular section of your scripture, that you would speak to us. Lord, speak to each person in this room who has come, who's made the effort to not do something else this morning, to get in a car, to come sit, quiet our souls so that we may focus on your word and on you, Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first section that we're looking at here is just anchors it in history. So you have uh, different leaders mentioned. Uh, you'll recognize some of them, and you might not have positive connotations in your mind about them. So there's a couple things we can learn from this. The kingdom of God can move in whatever environment of human governmental management, because this was a tough one. There was a lot of immorality at the top, and you can imagine how that filters down. There wasn't even pretending to have some sort of moral standards on the top. So then the mid-level government and then certainly the government on the street that you dealt with certainly weren't appealing to some golden rule. 
And so that affects your country. And for those of you who lived in other countries where corruption is more accepted and the way that things are, then you know what that feels like. Um, you can't even appeal to, uh, here in this country, you can at least appeal to what ought to be, and most people will agree that that probably is a good standard even if they're not following it. So that wasn't the case for John the Baptist when he began to teach. And another thing to remember is we're supposed to pray for our leaders. First um, Timothy 2 talks about that. And that was true back then. It is true back now. Um, government is something that manages us and as a society. We need to pray for them. And then also to remember that they're people. So Tiberius is Caesar at this time. From what historians tell us is that um, he wasn't necessarily a happy camper because he wasn't always Caesar. And before he was Caesar, he was forced by the existing Caesar to divorce a wife that he loved, who had one child and was pregnant with another, to marry another woman because the Caesar wanted it. And that woman wanted to be with any other guy other than him. And he had to live with that. So um, his life wasn't great either. And he was at the top. And certainly no one in the desert probably thought, oh, poor Tiberius. But Tiberius had a rough time. So we need to remember that every human is a human and to pray for them. So as we think of our leaders, wherever they are in the world, we should be praying for them. And then one thing for us that um, I was trying to, I don't, I'm not, probably not going to say this well, but I'm just going to get it out there. We've got presidential elections coming up around the bend. Um, I, not saying our church particularly, but I think Christians could do a little better job of keeping the unity of the body through the next wave. I don't know, I, you know, I, I'm, I, just the studying I've been doing, they're saying now that evangelical churches will more likely divide over political opinions than they will over doctrinal, some of the studying I've been doing. So, again, I didn't grow up in going to, if you grew up going to a, a Baptist church or a conservative Christian church, I did not experience that. Um, I didn't come into this until I was in my 20s. And I remember being surprised in the late 80s, how early 90s, how uninterested it seemed to me, at least the Christian evangelical sections that I was involved in, how uninterested they were in big political issues. And then now we've, you know, in the 90s and, and since then, now we're fully present, which I don't think, I think we should be. But how can we get better at that? Um, recognizing, and this is one of the pressures I notice on our society, is that because we have such freedom, and if you have parents who have kids, there's an unlimited things of, you could do for your kid this summer. I mean, because you can drive and because you have access, you could plan the perfect summer for your kid, tailored to each individual kid every hour of the day. You could. That's pretty exhausting if you try to do that. Same with our government. We, we don't, they, I would argue that they knew some form of democracy back then. I mean, certainly you've all studied the Greeks and the Romans had the Senate, but I don't know that the listeners to John would have been able to envision the kind of government that we have today. 
where we are all voters. So in essence, we are all responsible for what happens in this country. And if there's something we need to change, if we work hard, we can actually change it. That is a wonderful blessing. I remember as a kid watching these commercials of trash on the highway. Does anybody remember that one? And they had a, an American, a Native American standing there with a tear running down his eye, you know, just like, look what you did to the beautiful West. Well, it's not as much trash. Um, I drove around when I was 9 and 10. There was still trash out there. We'd driven across the country several times. It's not so dirty. I've been in Mexico. It's kind of still dirty. I mean, trash is still, they throw it out the window. So we can affect change, and that is wonderful. We need to be good stewards of this country, uh, the land that we're on, the people. We need to do that. But there is a balance that we have to navigate because we have two kingdoms to be part of. We've got to be part U.S. citizens. That's why God put us here. Let's be responsible knowledgeable, active voters and co-governors, because we, we are all shareholders in this great country, and let's manage it well, but we could go to the nth degree with it and have that all be we think about and forget about the kingdom of God. So that's our balance going forward, and I, I don't know if anybody else would be up for this, but maybe in the fall, Augustine dealt with this issue in the 400s, and he wrote the book, The City of God. It is not a skinny book. And Mount Sam will read all of it. But he deals with some of these issues. And maybe in the fall, somebody be, a couple people be up for a book study of how are we now, as Jesus followers, supposed to navigate democracy and the world we have. And given the potential division, among the unity of the body of Christ is a big thing. And I know all of you have seen examples where the last political election brought division to, to the body, if not this one here. So we have to live in the reality of government. But how are we going to live in it, and how are we going to let the spirit and the truth of the word permeate the way that we live is the question. So, Michaela, you can flip it over. Um, so then we're John the Baptist. He, he travels around, um, and he's teaching his baptism for the remission of sins. And he quotes, um, as it's written in the book of Isaiah. So I want you to think about uh, what he was doing. He was out. He wasn't conveniently located. He travels some. He's teaching about repentance, which means turn around, literally, turn around. So it does bode well for people planning to make changes that they had to walk to get there. They already began the repentance process by going to listen to him because they stopped what they were doing to consider a different way of living. And he is preaching to them, turn around, stop doing what you're doing. You have an option. That's what he's teaching, and he's, he's pointing out that we need the remission of sins. Now, with the sacrificial system that was in existence at that time, and the temple, like for us, when we look back at the temple, we may think it had been there forever. The glory of the temple is right around Jesus' day. I mean, they start building it near where he was born, it doesn't last that much longer until 70 A.D. it's destroyed. But at this point, the, the temple and the sacrifices and the blood cost of sin would have been something people would have been familiar with. So there is a sense of what sin is. There is a sense of a paying for it. And he's going around teaching about what that will be. And then 
as you, um, as you look at it, he refers people back to the Word of God. That's where we need to be. We need to be teaching the Word of God. We need to be uh, just ruminating in it. So go ahead, Michaela. So this is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is several centuries before Jesus and John the Baptist. And it paints this picture. And it could, the, the voice crying in the wilderness, that's not where you go if you want to be heard. It, it's just, who wants to go out there? There's bugs to bite you. There's the walk. There's, did we pack enough lunch? Did what my nine-year-old didn't really want to go out and hear John today? Who's going to watch him? The husband wants to go out, and the wife's like, how, how long is that going? Where is he teaching now? Can you catch him when he's a little closer? You've been gone all week, and leave me. With the, I mean, just imagine what people had to do to go out to the wilderness. Would have been more convenient had he come and taught in the temple, um, but he didn't. He's out in the wilderness, and he says a couple things. He says, uh, make the path straight. You've got valleys filled, mountains brought low, crooked places made straight. Rough places made smooth. So we've got to decide, is he really talking about the landscape here? I've driven across the country a lot. I know some of you are from the middle states. I grew up in Baltimore. I appreciate the middle states. However, I don't think we need more flat ground. If you've ever driven out there, and the only like change is the overpass, and you're just driving. There was a season where Kirsten and I and the kids drove back and forth from our place in Mexico twice a year, back to here, 45 hours each way, 90 hours round trip, twice a year, minivan, several children, occasionally a dog. You want to talk about marital growth opportunity? Middle of the U.S. will give it to you. I don't know that God is saying, let's flatten this whole thing. I don't think so. I hope not. I really hope not. I like Virginia because of its rolling hills. I like it. So I don't know that he's saying we're flattening all of it. He may be talking about people because that last verse says, all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. So what does it mean to prepare the way for the Lord in our own hearts and in the hearts around us? And so I'm just trying to draw out the analogy a little bit, and it is not in here. I'm just saying what you can figure out for yourself whether this is adequate. But if it's talking about people, what does it mean to prepare the way in your own heart? And what does it mean to help prepare the way in the hearts of others? Some people are in valleys. You know, depression is big. I mean, anxiety and depression are at a level that I have not seen in my lifetime. I'd call those the valleys. They're just dipped down. And if you've gone through that or you know someone go through it, they just get dark. They, they, it's like they, a, a, a sh something covers over them almost, and their faces look sad, and they just can't get out. They can't feel the sunshine. They can't taste pizza. They just are in that. So some of those need to be lifted up. You know, that would, to me, would be filling in the valleys. You know, people that lack self-confidence or, or people that are really struggling with, with the view of themselves. Could just be example. There's multiple examples of valleys. That's just one for you to think about. The mountains might be people who think too much of themselves. I could be thinking too much of myself, and I'm too exalted, and maybe I need to be brought down more to reality. Some of the crooked places, um, the world makes you a little crooked. You grow like a tree to adapt to the environment that you're in. 
And one of the reasons I'm glad that we are going to be praying and worshiping in a middle school cafeteria in a couple weeks is because I think the middle school cafeteria is where a lot of people start growing crooked. If you guys have been there, remember what it's like to come out with your tray and try to figure out where you're supposed to sit. And I bet you most of you could tell me something that was said to you or something embarrassing moment that happened in middle school. I think that's where a lot of us start adapting the way we grow to deal with what we see as reality. Just like a tree that bends to try to get you know, to the sunlight. There's some crookedness that goes on in the human way and the kingdom of God and people in this body and I really appreciate um, the prayer team that's been here and what Don and Jen are doing with Pray Through It. They get right there and try to help those trees get straighter. And so there's a crookedness. And then there's rough ways. I, I would say there's lots of them, but I, I would say one way that we can grow as Christians right now is learning how to speak the truth in love. Like learning how to do those two things and not... Um, lose either one. So that's rough. You know, we want to try to be the kind of people that are smooth when we're talking about truth and talking in love. And then the point is, we're all pointing to salvation. That's that last line, that all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. The goal is to focus on the salvation of the Lord. That's where we're headed. Go ahead, Michaela, you can flip that one. So, um, so then these people come out, the multitudes come out, and, um, and John gives very, I I've never really heard a, a preacher repeat this um, welcome to the church before. I'm not going to try it now, but brood of vipers. It's pretty, you know, a reptile reference, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. And think about this group. This is the group that at least wants to, to come hear him. He's not in the streets yelling at the red light district, you brood of vipers. This is people that have maybe walked an hour or two to get there, and maybe some of those people were ready to go hear him. Maybe some came because a friend or a spouse or a parent brought them, and they're sitting there going, I'm out of here. Uh, this is exactly what I thought he would do. This is why I didn't want to come. But he puts it out there because he, the truth is there is wrath to come. There is wrath to come. I, I am hoping that the people that I know that don't know the Lord are going to repent. Hell is real, and there is wrath to come whether we recognize it or not, and we're not doing anyone any favors by ignoring that. And so John is just right off the bat, he's going to deal with the reality of God's wrath that is coming, and he's going to talk about specifics and what people do to, to change. They need to change. And we can forget that we have a boss. We all have a boss. At some point, every one of us turn in all, you know, I've said this before, like Monopoly. You may be sitting on Boardwalk and Park Place right now. You might be in the greens. You might, whatever your cards are, we turn them in at a certain point. And the game is over, but we're still there standing before the Lord. And he's going to say, what did you do with it? So that is ahead of every one of us, and that is something that we need to get out there. And we need to be aware that it's, we know it's not popular, but we can't back off of the fact that there's wrath to come. Three groups are out there, 
And I would, I would ask you, if John were come to teach by the James, down by the boat landing or, or downtown somewhere, what groups would we have out there? And imagine these groups coming up and people, uh, you know, people there listening to John, they look over and like another subset comes over. And at first they do a double take and think, I can't believe they're here. But I sure hope they're listening. You know, think who you might see there from our society. And one of the, right off the bat to the multitudes, he talks about, um, you know, bearing the fruit of repentance. Is that something that, what does that look like? What does it look like when we repent, when we walk away and we say, I have changed, and how do we go about backtracking out of that? So imagine those groups there, and they've got to backtrack out of something, and are you bearing this fruit of repentance? What is something you can think of right now that you repented from in your walk with the Lord, and how did you back out of that? Like, how did you turn around and come out of it? And if you've offended people, which most of them include, how do we go about turning around in that? When, when you have borne this fruit and you have changed, and I, I was the last one of my siblings to become a believer, and my brother said, when you became a believer, he said something like, then I knew there was a God. Um, so uh, my brother, my sister actually was a little bit later. And I thought, what does that mean? You know, but they had lived with me, and I had related a certain way, and so I had a very dramatic conversion on August 6th one summer, and it was night and day for me. I went from not caring at all to suddenly hungry for the scripture, and I jumped right back into college where I was president of the rugby team. I was the social chairman for the business school who bought all the kegs, and I was in a fraternity and living, you know, with some pretty wild roommates. And I'm two weeks as a believer thinking, all right, I know certain cuss words are out. I know some, a lot of what the rugby team was doing is out. I'm trying to find my way in this. But with my family even, they're kind of watching to see if this was real. And a lot of it had to do with how I related to them. And so how do you come through repentance with other people and say, no, I've really changed and forgive me for what the way I treated you for eight years or, or whatever it is. Are we bearing fruit of repentance? Are we free to bear fruit of repentance among the body of Christ? Uh, the, I thought when I became a believer that you came to faith and then you had this instant change and then you were good to go. I'm finding out a long time ago it doesn't quite work that way and the Lord is still working out the fruit of repentance in my life, but I feel like as you get to a certain level of of Christianity or, or maturity in Christ, you're not allowed to have that anymore or something. We need to be free to say, yes, I've been a believer for 20 years, but I still need to bear some fruit of repentance in this area. Please forgive me for the way I did. We have to have that kind of community because that's the fruit of repentance. And he talks about, um, you know, you don't get credit for who's in your family tree. It do, it's it's me and God standing before him at the end. I know there's judgment and a lot of other people, but I'm going to be looking at God, and I need to be ready to do that and not pass off and say, well, this, and I knew this person, I'm this family. doesn't work. So bear good fruit. That's what we need to be thinking of, and most of it has to do with how we interact with other people. You can do the next one, Michaela. So here's the groups I mentioned, and um, they're asking, what do we do? And so we... 
we've got a couple things in here to look at. Sharing is one of them. If, you ha if you're rich in a certain area, we need to share it. I, I, haven't, I don't know how many tunics you all have. I'm not going to check, but I don't think we think that way. But there's a wealth that we have, anything from material to knowledge to a good family, any of that kind of stuff we need to be sharing. Um, the tax collectors, we don't have those quite as much, but it is interesting that John, it's not an argument from silence, but he doesn't say stop collecting tax. He just says don't abuse the system. Same with the soldiers. He doesn't say lay down your weapons. And Augustine, I, I think it's Augustine, argued that, it's, that this is justification for the existence of a military. They're not told to stop doing it. They're just told not to abuse their power. Other countries do that. In Mexico, unfortunately, you, um, the policemen make their money by tickets. So I've even heard of them fixing their own vehicles so they could keep driving to do it. There's corruption in some places, and it still exists, and it's not something we're supposed to do. Um, so you can flip to the next one. So this part, this is a neat little phrase here. It says, um, the people were in expectation, and they reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. So I want you to look at this crowd. Uh, this crowd's made the effort to get out there. They've come a couple times probably, and they're reasoning in their hearts. And that word in the Greek is a, what we call a cognate. It's got a similar, if you read it, you would, you would see the word dialogue. They dialogued in their hearts. My question for you is, what, if we were throwing your thoughts on the screen right now, what dialogue's going on in your heart? If we were to drop in, if you're married, and say, what dialogues do you two talk about most of the time? Would they be Christ-centered? I'm not saying we don't need to talk about the heating system and the, and the fact that the car needs inspection. I'm not saying don't talk about those things. But what dialogue, what are you reading, what are you wondering what are you seeking? What are you dialoguing in your heart? Is it about the Lord or not? And the, the important thing to remember is he's got us having to go through this washing, you know, and Jesus died one time for sacrificing for our sins, so I, we don't need to keep repeating that sacrifice. But that sense of coming before the Lord, that's why he left communion for us. These reminders that you're becoming like him is going to be a process. And if you're in the body of Christ, then the encouragement is to engage with those around you in that process. I would like to be more like Jesus a year from now than I am right now. And we get to be invited into that process, knowing that at the end, God, Jesus is going to be there with the winnowing. You know, he's the one that can really sort through things. He can judge motive. We can't. Um, he's the one that at the end of this sorts all of this stuff out. And I want to be preparing for that day. We have one judge and one final reckoning. And I wanna, I'm hoping this group of people helps me get ready for that day and live it out really well. Okay, Michaela. So it, this, as you're thinking about John, um, be thinking, what was it like to be there? I'm, I'm hoping you, uh, you'll be able to enter into that time. Some of these people have traveled out there a number of times. Um, he's, he's yells brood of vipers, but he must not be yelling that all the time because it seemed to have gotten to somewhat of a dialogue. What should we do? Well, you do this. There's some talking going on. And then think about baptizing people. You can't yell at someone and baptize them at the same time. So at some point, 
John wasn't just out there yelling. He was interacting with them, and it says with many other exhortations. We don't know what they were, but he was teaching and encouraging, and that just reminds me that we need this teaching of the Word and the encouragement. That's what we need as people, to be able to grow and to be able to be encouraged, and we deal with sin, but we're not just here to deal with our sin problem. We are supposed to be growing more and more in Christ. And as the last example in this passage, he stands up for marriage, and he gets put in jail. So we can't back off of truth even as we get in relationship and talking with people. And, and I don't know, you know, if, if everybody was kind of come, the people that were following became more and more changing their lives and listening to his exhortation. He didn't let off of what truth was about, and that's what ends up getting him arrested. Okay, Michaela. So this is where it um, This is where it comes to Jesus, it says in verse 23, when all the people were baptized. So think about that. All the people are baptized. There's a point where he's not baptizing anymore. Everybody's through, and it's just Jesus left. And Jesus comes up, and we get this picture of the Trinity. We have Jesus the Son, we have the voice of God the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit descending. That is the picture of what we have. And it is a great thing to remember that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right there. And you can flip to the next one, uh, Michaela, because this part is what we'll think about. When we think about the Lord, there's two pictures from Isaiah I want to leave you with. One is the Lord as a good shepherd. He is, and in the middle there, they're very specific. He'll feed his flock, and right before that he says his work is before him. A good shepherd goes ahead of the sheep to get it ready and prepare for us. And his job is to feed you. And he gathers the lambs with his arm. That's the kind of God we have. I move my sheep from where we have them to another place to graze. And they, they run to get there. Well, sometimes the lambs don't keep up or they don't quite get with the program. So I try to call them and move. Sometimes I just pick them up. I just pick them up and carry them. Like, you don't have to learn your lesson. We just got to get across the road right now. That's the picture of God. And then, you know, he's, he, he's one example there, um, and he gently leads those who are with young. If you're a parent of young kids, that's good to know that God is gentle with you. He knows that sometimes it was all you could do just to get here this morning. He knows it. And I want that kind of God that's patient. Last night, I was trying to bring the sheep home in the dark, and I was like, hey, come on, you know, because it was dark, and I'm trying to bring them, and this mom veered off with three lambs into this field, and I was kind of like, you know, everyone else is in. I got to go back and get this one. But I thought, she's nursing three lambs right now. She's been doing it for a couple months. That sheep is hungry, and she saw grass, and she went for it. So don't yell at her. Just go over there and wait a second. Let her eat. But that's the picture of God, that there is this God who runs the whole world, but he is a shepherd that cares about you and the station of life that you're in. He is the good shepherd. And then flip to the last one, Michaela. And this is one you're familiar with, also from Isaiah. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You guys, how many of you have seen eagles down along the James? Kirsten and I were walking along the trail, and there was an eagle just in a tree above the walking trail. And 
I've also seen them way up in the air. We get the invitation to be growing in strength. I mean, there's a power in the eagle. And are you sensing that renewal? Are you able to grow stronger? We should be able to be handling more than we could a year ago. God can renew us through the feeding of his word and the work of his spirit to make us capable of soaring through things that right now make us struggle, to help us to become different kind of people who can represent Christ in the year ahead. That's the invitation. It's, it's not just about coming to faith in Christ, trying not to sin too much for the next couple decades, go to church a couple times a month, tithe your money, and bring a friend every now and then. It is bigger than that. It is about growing in the fullness of Christ and constantly honoring him as you glorify his name. And when John, he looked ahead to Jesus, one practical way I thought of this week to do that, he said he's not worthy to undo the sandals. If you are a parent of small kids, you, you're, maybe your kids are trained more than mine. I pick up a lot of shoes. Like, I, you're just picking up shoes. Well, it's just a good exercise to pick up a shoe to say, there's one greater than I who's coming. Jesus is coming. Remember, one day I stand before him, and I've got to explain how I parented these kids. There are ways that you can remind yourself that there's one coming greater. And so I want to encourage you to stay in this word and to grow. I mean, it, and to join us as a church, to grow and become more and more like Jesus as we head into the season ahead. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do some announcements. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for the meticulous way that he recorded the words, your words, and the deeds around your life. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come in us, that we would sense your power, your desire to shepherd us, that we would know that you know what it's like for us to live in this day and age. May we as individuals and as a body grow in our ability to glorify your name, whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, for to your name be the glory. In your precious name we pray, amen.